So here's a question for you. How long have you lived? Tony Campolo, one of my favorite authors, was teaching a course at the University of Pennsylvania when he picked a student on the front row and said, young man, how long have you lived? He said, what do you mean? And Campolo said, well, how long have you lived? And the student said, 23 years. The professor said, no, 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 that's how long your heart has been pumping blood. That's not how long you have lived. He then proceeded to tell the class about the time he went to the top of the Empire State Building in New York City. He was nine years old at the time, and as he ran around at the top of the building, he suddenly caught himself and said, Tony, you're on top of the Empire State Building. You are on top of the world. In one mystical, magical moment, he looked out at the horizon and took in the entire city. He lived that moment with such intensity and focused on what was before him with such spiritual energy that if he lived a million years, that moment would still be a part of his consciousness because he was fully alive when he lived it. And so he again looked at the student and said, now let me ask you the question again. How long have you lived? The student looked back and said, doctor, when you say it that way, maybe an hour, maybe a minute, maybe two minutes. Most of my life has been the meaningless passage of time between all too few moments when I was genuinely alive. What an interesting commentary. Most of us do not live life as we should. We just let it slip away from us. We wake up one day wondering where our life has gone. It seems to me that just as soon as my pimples cleared up, my hair fell out. <laughs> life slips by. It's gone. It's over. We need to ask ourselves whether we have truly lived life or just passed the time. Jesus said, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Children are so intense, so spontaneous. They cry with agony. They laugh with joy. They're so turned on to what life is all about. So let's take a look this morning how we can be as turned on as children are in living joy-filled, faith-filled, hope-filled lives as individuals and as a church. Now, in good Lutheran tradition, we need to ask ourselves, what does this mean? What does it mean to become like little children? Well, probably not what you think it means, at least in this context. You see, children were not held up in the ancient world as having positive qualities for adults to emulate. Children were regarded as inferior in almost every way. I mean, they're physically weak, susceptible to illness, often rebellious and selfish, gullible, and, well, overly dependent upon others. No adult would want to be that way. Now, even today, we value those with physical strength, those who are independent, those who can think rationally and stand on their own two feet. And that's exactly why Jesus told his disciples, unless you change and become like a little child, weak, vulnerable, and dependent, you can't enter the kingdom. You see, they had just had an argument 
over who was the greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus wanted to teach them that the greatest and most important disciple, he's the one who's the weakest, the most humble and lowly, the most dependent on God, the most reliant on Jesus. Likewise, the most important church today is the one who is, in fact, in a condition of lowly powerlessness and who willingly acknowledges her own emptiness and utter inability to change lives on her own. In other words, we're to be just like little children, weak, vulnerable, and dependent. You know, children don't question their value. They don't worry about who's the greatest because they all know, well, they're all great. And so if you ask a two-year-old, how big are you? What do they say? So big. Or they flex their muscles <laughs> because they know they're great. They know they're important. Adults, on the other hand, are always worried about their worth and their value and their self-image. Most people I know are well, they're down on themselves. Most people I know can name the things in their lives that are wrong. And I bet you can too. And so we beat our chests and we say, there's so much wrong with me. Well, of course there's a lot wrong with you. <laughs> there's a lot wrong with me too. We're human. We're sinners. We're not perfect. We mess up all the time. But here's the good news of the gospel. Jesus himself came into the world not only to die for our sins, but to absorb everything that is dirty and ugly and negative and to free us from all of that. Jesus not only cleanses you from the dark side of your personality and removes those things that ought not to be, but he clothes you with his righteousness. That means that when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin or all the things that you see that are wrong with you? No, he sees the perfection of his son, Jesus Christ. And through Jesus, God sees all that is right with you. He sees just how valuable you are, just like little children see themselves. And so you too can have the childlike freedom that comes with deliverance from all that is negative and dark. God's children never need to question their value. A dad took his son to Disneyland when he was just a little tyke, and as they were leaving, he said, I want another ride on Space Mountain. And the father said, well, wait a minute, I'm, I'm out of money and I'm out of time. But the boy persisted like kids do, and he said, Jesus wants me to go. <laughs> the dad said, I'm, I'm, I'm not following. The boy said, well, you know, when, when you were in church, you said that whatever we feel, well, Jesus feels it too. When we cry, he cries. When we hurt, he hurts. You said Jesus feels every emotion we have. Well, that's right, the father said. Well, if he feels every emotion I have, then when I'm laughing on Magic Mountain, he's having a good time too. I think Jesus would enjoy it if I had another ride on Space Mountain. <laughs> Not bad theology. You see, we have a God who wants us to be free from the burdens that keep us from enjoying life and living it intensely. He wants to fill us with an excitement, a childlike attitude that enables us to live life with incredible 
spontaneous enthusiasm and joy. Do you have that in your life? (laughs) That's what Christianity is all about. That's what true spirituality is all about. It's not just about heaven. I mean, that's in the future. It's about a Jesus who invades your life and creates in you a spontaneous excitement about living now. It's about no longer worrying about the future and what might happen, but living in the moment and relying on Jesus to change your future for the good. That's why we, like little children, surrender each day to the Lord. God's children have a quality of spontaneous joy. You know, G.K. Chesterton once said, I think God's the only child left in the universe, and all the rest of us have grown old and cynical because of sin. (laughs) What a great line. Let me ask you another question. How did God create daisies? (laughs) I say like a child. I mean, you throw a child up in the air or bounce him off your knee, and when you sit him on the floor, the first thing the kid says is, do it again. (laughs) Throw him in the air and catch him. Bounce him off your knee. Set him on the floor, and again, he's going to yell, do it again. (laughs) Do it 50 times. The 50th time, the kid is still yelling hysterically, Do it again, do it again. The excitement of a little child. That's how God created daisies. He created one daisy. I'm sure of it. And then in the childlike heart of God, he clapped and he said, do it again. (laughs) And he created daisy number two. And then something within God said, do it again. And he created daisy number three and four and five and then 50 billion trillion daisies later, the great God of the universe is still creating with childlike excitement and joy and yelling, do it again. Remember when you were a kid so full of life, so vital and dynamic? (laughs) It's kind of grown dull and slow and boring, hasn't it? No wonder Jesus said, Look, why don't you come to me and be born again? Why don't you become like a little child once again? Let me do my thing in you. Surrender to me. Allow me to run your life. I'm resurrected from the grave. I'll take possession of you, and I will change you, and I will give you a sense of worth so you'll be freed from the burdens of life. I'll fill you with my excitement, so you'll know joy like you've never known it before. (laughs) That's why the gospel is called good news. Well, there's a third childlike quality that comes to all of those who are fully alive in the Lord, and that's absolute confidence in the future. I've noticed that kids have great dreams about what they want to be when they grow up. Life hasn't beaten them down yet. They haven't yet experienced real hardships that suck the energy and dreams out of them. They still believe in the future. So ask a kid, what are you going to do? What are you going to be? And, well, they'll say, I'm I'm going to be an astronaut, or I'm going to be a surgeon. They say, I'm going to be a musician, or I'm going to be a pro basketball player. They believe in the future. Then, as they grow older... 
ugly realism sets in. People begin telling them no all the time. Parents and adults begin telling them what they can and can't do and what they should and shouldn't become. And it doesn't take long and a child's dream is shattered. Here's the good news of the gospel. We have a Jesus who creates dreams and visions for us. To paraphrase scripture, when the young no longer dream dreams and the old no longer have visions, the people perish. Children naturally believe that they can do something incredible with themselves. There are no limits. They can be anything. I say to you that the Jesus who imparts spontaneous joy and glorious visions of the future to children can impart it to you. So often people, especially older people, don't think they have much of a future. Well, I say a person is only old when his dreams of the past are more precious than his visions of the future. You're cynical when you don't believe in tomorrow. I want to tell you about the God who wants to make you believe in the future, even when you're old. I mean, Abraham was 94 years old when God gave him a vision. You're never too old, and you're never too young, to surrender to a God who will not only help you see how valuable you are, but also believe that the future will be better than the past. Let me close with this. One of the most inspirational persons of my life was my grandmother, a little old lady who was faithful to God and her church literally until her dying day. She always looked forward to tomorrow. After her oldest son died, well before his career took off as a distinguished professor at the University of Michigan, she focused on the blessings God gave to her remaining children and her grandchildren. And then when her husband died, she missed him and grieved terribly for him. But again, she focused on the future and the present and spent even more time with her grandchildren. Some of my fondest memories of my childhood are of playing dominoes with my grandmother and eating chocolate pudding that she had made fresh that day. And of course, of spending Saturday nights with her so that we could sleep a little later on Sunday morning since she lived right across the street from the Lutheran church. It was a Saturday night, just like any other. She took her bath in the house in which she had lived for most of her widowed life, right across the street from the Lutheran church, and she prepared herself for bed. She read her Bible and she said her prayers, and then she laid out her Sunday dress, her pearl necklace, and her black Sunday shoes. They were placed symmetrically by the chair next to her bed, as they always were, all ready for use for Sunday worship in the morning. The last thing she did on this earth was to write out her check for the offering plate, which she placed in the envelope inside her purse, right next to her Bible. It was a ritual that had been going on for decades. And that's exactly how my uncle found her on Sunday morning when she hadn't shown up at eight o'clock worship. And that's how I will always remember my grandmother. She was awaiting tomorrow and the great things that the Lord would do. 
My friends, we are not done yet. Not as individuals and not as a church. God has made us fully alive for the past 151 years. We're his children. So let us continue to depend on him, to live lives of spontaneous joy, and believe in a greater future yet to come, here on earth and forever in heaven. Amen.